I think that's where I struggle is I don't know what the end is. And I think when you're a writer, you have to have an idea of where, you, where you're taking the story. Welcome to You Should Write a Book About That. My name is Kim O'Hara. I'm an intuitive book coach at A Story Inside, and I'm interviewing fascinating people from all walks of life who have a story to tell. Do they have a book in them? Stick around and find out. I am so excited today to have on the show Kendra Murphy. She's a relationship coach helping women take control of their love lives, but specifically something that I've enjoyed tapping into on her Instagram account is watching out for those bad boys who waste your time in life. Welcome to the show, Kendra. Thank you, Kim. When we first talked, you know, I really connected with you because, you know, I have gone through a lot of different relationships in my life. I have developed a lot of different, you know, opinions about myself through dating. One thing I was thinking about is that dating for me was a really good experience because I learned a lot, like a lot about myself. What do you talk about with women about that process? So I view every relationship as somewhat of a spiritual awakening. And I think if we can have that outlook on it, even the ones that are really bad, you know, with the bad boys, um, I think if we can have that outlook on it, we can take something good even from the bad. And then as well on the flip side, when you're going through an amazing relationship, it can show you what what you what your standards are and mm-hmm. what you really desire can come into fruition. So yeah, I, I think a spiritual awakening is a good way to like remind yourself that everything has a purpose. So what was one of the worst dates you ever have been on and one of the best dates you've ever been on? Woo. Okay. One of the worst. <laughs> Let's go there. <laughs> trying to think. So I went through a phase where I was really uh, swiping a lot on Bumble, which is a dating app. And I went on several bad dates where there was, <laughs> I'll go with the most recent. There was a, an, a man, we won't name him, and he had a dog named Sherman. And the focal point of our conversations were about Sherman, and Sherman was adorable, and I was so excited to meet Sherman. And we spoke for probably two weeks on the phone, and we had deep conversations. And then when we finally met up for coffee, it was Sherman's 15th birthday. So I'm a thoughtful person, although I didn't really know this man Although I've never met Sherman, I brought Sherman a little dog treat gift for his 15th birthday. He's an old dog. That's really <laughs> so, sweet. That's really yeah. sweet. I know. So we we met up and, you know, it's just one of those things where you just know it's a no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> the conversation was really forced. Uh, and then I realized a lot of our conversation was about the dog and maybe that's what was the problem and I was dating the dog and not the man. Uh, <laughs> was the dog there? Uh, yes. So he brought the dog and speaking of that was the, the most disturbing part is he brought the dog in on his hip like you would carry a toddler Oh my! and God. the dog was dressed in clothes which were in Los Angeles. So that's pretty, that's pretty normal here. But it just kept getting worse. I mean, he was mouth kissing the dog. Oh, my the God. Point- 
point where people in the coffee shop were looking and looking at me and feeling bad for me. <laughs> like, oh, with sympathy. So, um, yeah, it was just one of those things where I had to wrap it up after an hour. You know, I put mm-hmm. in a good hour and then I was like, this, this is done. So what ended up happening is in my dating experience, even if things fizzle out like that or I haven't had a good experience, I like to at least tell the person, hey, it was nice meeting you. You know, just shoot like a nice text. And I did that with this man and he never responded. So he ghosted me. Uh, so that really was like Sherman a ghosted you. Even Sherman, <laughs> Sherman didn't like its treat. So. Ghosted by a dog. Um, okay. So what was your best dating experience? And I understand that, um, you know, that might not necessarily led to like a long-term relationship, but sure. you know, in, in telling that story, what I'm hoping to ha- have you help the listeners identify is mm-hmm. what is like a good date, even if it doesn't lead to long, where sure. do you know as a woman that you're holding your best value, you're not getting yourself strung in to like, you know, one of those bad boys that are going to lead you along for mm-hmm. three months. How do you know it's a good date that you're complete? So as far as a best date, it's not that necessarily he wooed me or took me to the nicest place or opened my car door, which all of those things would be lovely. Uh, but it was more so that I knew what I wanted and I was very confident in speaking my truth and it was reciprocated. And although he didn't really necessarily want the same things. We still had a nice conversation. So I think that was one of my best first dates. I think knowing who you are and really standing in your, you know, honoring what you want in life is, mm-hmm. can make the dating experience so much easier for everyone. Yeah. And, and it's really interesting because, um, you know, I had been married a couple of times. And so when I entered the mm-hmm. dating world, it was very late and I was just really mm-hmm. like, I was really scared, you know, I was scared about who I was going to present myself as and mm-hmm. what people were going to think about me. And then as time went on, and, and I know you talk about this, you know, in your online courses and, and when you coach women, I started to have undeniable things that were happening that I just knew were not acceptable. Like I would go on a date with a guy and it would seem like a lovely lunch and everything would be going wonderful. We'd have that stimulating conversation. There could be potential chemistry. And then all of a sudden, instead of asking me on the second date, he would start texting me like pictures of him, like at a gig or pictures of where he's going to go with his son. And I'd be like, I felt like he was using me as like a hit, like in a way to not be intimate, but pretend he was intimate. I, I can so I think it's a fine line because we've come to a point where texting is is like I think our other than calling and meeting in person it is like our biggest form of communication. So it depends on the person and what they how they want to communicate because I have had clients that actually like a man sending them stuff like that and they feel connected to that whereas I've had clients and they prefer a man to call them. So I think it's all preference, but I, mm. I don't necessarily think it's a red flag. Do you have any red flags where you were, you thought this is absolutely a red flag? Oh my God. I went on a date with a man <laughs> who had done research and found out that I had written a book about sexual abuse and we're oh. at an Italian restaurant and he's ordering all this food. And then he just changed all of a sudden he started telling me about his uh, sister being abused by her, by his father. And he got enraged and, and 
left me at the rest. It was hor. It was one of the, I sobbed the whole, it was one of the most horrifying oh. experiences of my whole life. It made me realize oh like, God. I'm not a public figure, but you can look me up and you can see that I have had this history. I mean, I wrote a book about it and mm-hmm. that was really amazing. I mean, I know that you come from a history, you had long-term sexual abuse as a child. It mm-hmm. was a very unusual situation. I mean, maybe it's not that mm-hmm. unusual. I shouldn't say that, but, but I think, it's, typically- I think it's unique. <laughs> unique that's yes um yeah. being sexually abused by a, a female babysitter for all those years mm-hmm. and I know that when we talked um and you know that I I think you should write a book about that because it's oh, there's probably it's so many people who have those unique situations that kind of don't know if it was abuse but yet now mm-hmm. they're trying to put together romantic relationships and intimacy and not even just romantic relationships relationships in general with people and they can't because there's been some the, the breach of trust has been so huge do you want to talk about that a little bit yeah sure so in my own experience i realized that as soon as intimacy came into this into any relationship i would run And unknowingly, I wasn't facing a lot of my past trauma, but it happened at such a young age. And I actually, we went through a year long court process uh, where she did end up serving time for the abuse. Wow. But I know, but I, I, yeah, I know. So it was a lot. It was a lot for a 10 year old to take on. And one of my memories from that was sitting on the stand and giving testimony and looking at her and still loving her. So that's very confusing for a child because intimacy has been shown to you in a different way and the line has been crossed. So you really have to learn that throughout your life. And I think it's very important if anything has happened like that to work with a professional. Um, But even so, even if you do in your own life experience, you can experience PTSD, which would cause me to run. (laughs) I just run anytime anyone loves me. Uh, And anytime I started to have feelings, which I think is natural uh, in my circumstances. But let me ask you this. Um, Let me ask you this, you know, as, as a, as for me, as someone who denied, you know, the abuse that I um, had, um, do you think it was better that you had that experience at 10? Do you think you gained anything from that? Or do you think that you would have preferred to not deal with it? What do you think? Well, you know, what's interesting is after the court case closed, I I told my mother, I don't ever want to talk about it again. And we had family that was concerned. It was in the newspapers where we lived. It was a big deal. And we had family concern and friends concern. And my mom just said, Kimber never wants to speak about it again. And she kept her promise. And so it didn't start hitting me until later in life, about 27, maybe 25, 27. And I was having nightmares and not really even of, yeah, I know, not really even of the abuse, but just of that time frame of my life. And I couldn't escape it anymore. So, but I didn't know that I was trying to escape it. So this is the part where our subconscious and our energetic fields hold in trauma, which I don't think a lot of people really grasp how detrimental that is. What scares you the most about writing about this whole topic? Would you write about the the topic about the abuse and the trial and being a child, or are you more interested in the effects of 
how you had romantic relationships or how you continue to have romantic relationships at this time? Mm -hmm. You know, I'd like to incorporate it all. And I think that's where I struggle is I don't know what the end is. And I think when you're a writer, you have to have an idea of where where you're taking the story. So that's where I really, um, I can't figure out what the happy ending is yet. Mm. Um, Although I have some ideas, I would like to incorporate it all because I think the whole story is really not only relevant in our times, uh, because as you said, it's a unique experience in the media. A lot of grooming stories are coming, uh, coming out. And so I think it's important to know that this really does happen. You know, when someone doesn't know what the quote-unquote happy ending is, that's always an indication Mm -hmm. to me that they have more than one book to write. Means that there is a (laughs) right. It means that there's a there's a certain area that needs to be discussed, and then there needs to be another area that needs to be discussed, and then there's another area, and that scares people. They're like, I can't even write one book. How the hell am I supposed to write three? But when you give yourself permission to believe that there doesn't always have to be an end, that this is just a slice of life that could bring relief to some person that has never been able to tell their story, that doesn't feel like Mm -hmm. they're understood, that's gone through a lot of the same trials and tribulations that you have in your life with self-worth and romantically why there is no end for them I mean there's really no end till you die so there really isn't yeah um, you know this isn't you're not 80 writing your memoir and you're like tomorrow I'll be dead you know so (laughs) yeah I just got full body chills for your whole (laughs) sentence there so that means you're right Uh, (laughs) we love the full body I really I take the full body chills seriously uh so yes I think I think you're right. So I think really just stepping into it and owning it and going for it, which I have been, which has been really great. I've been taking inspired action and also action when I'm not inspired Mm -hmm. Uh, to the point recently where I had to, I had to stop the car and write because I don't know if you've experienced that as a writer, but just floods come in and you have to stop. (laughs) You have to put it somewhere so you don't miss it. it. Does that happen to you? Um, I know that um, I'll get the best idea ever when I go for a long walk. And the problem is, is I often don't take anything with me when I go for a long walk so that I jog (laughs) home because it's like the best idea ever. And I just keep repeating it in my head over and over and over and over and over. So I don't forget it. And I find, and I say this to writers all the time, you could have one word, you could have one Mm -hmm. sentence and it is the catalyst to everything. So don't believe mm-hmm. that you're supposed to, you know, pull over in the car and write 16 chapters or even a chapter. Yeah. You might just have one thing on a post. You're like, that's it. That's it. Right. And then that's yep, the yep, energy yep. that you need to ride in the computer or in a notebook. Like, don't have the excitement over the one word and sentence and then be like, but I'll work on it later. No, you got to mm-hmm. ride that out in that moment. Like yep. your creative muse has opened. You've somehow relaxed yourself in your mind to be available. And that moment is now. And I think that's one thing that writers struggle with. Even though I teach people to have structure to write, you have to allow yourself to have those moments. Of course. And I think those moments are really um, inspiring and can push you through when you're having, as a writer, you're having those moments of doubt. So Mm -hmm. it's it's been really nice that those have been coming to me. Um, And I'm excited. I, you know, I do have a story inside and I do want to share it. And it's not, not just for my own well-being because I know how important being witnessed is, um, whether it is you sharing your story or just hearing someone else's. It's like, it's a huge form of healing. So I really want to give that gift to people. 
What would you give um, as advice? There's a, a woman's out there. She's dating. She's looking for her mm-hmm. life partner and she might have some history of trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll just, we'll just say she does. A lot of people do, you know, what, four out of five women or three out of five. I don't, it's just a ridiculous number. Um, mm-hmm. And she keeps meeting all these, like, I don't want to swear on the podcast, but I love what you yeah. call them, the F-U-C-K boys. Like, uh-huh. why do we, why do women that come from trauma, like, why are they attracted to those kinds of men? So in my experience, uh, we are attracted to what we are familiar with. So that can stem, you know, from childhood with family dynamics or, you like something that I've experienced with trauma um, and sexual abuse. But I also believe my advice would be to look within to see not only you're attracted to that, but why are you attracting it? Because um, as you know, like attracts like, are you with me on that? Yes. I, uh, that? Yes. Okay. Uh, yes. I mean, I would look at relationships and go, I'm with someone that's unavailable because it's safer to be unavailable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then why, so in that case, I would say, why is it safer to be unavailable? And then we would explore that. So a lot of my work ends up being um, work on the inner child, you know, and then that's, let's talk, let's talk to the inner child and see how she's doing. And then we'll, then we'll go on Bumble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a, five, a woman with a five-year-old screaming, I want what I want inside is not very attractive yep. in the dating world. It's really, yeah. really not. You know, I did this interesting thing. I did an, a, a meditation the other day, which really stunned me because I feel like I'm, I'm an over, I, I've over like come, like I'm an overcomer, right? Like I like that mm-hmm. word more than a survivor, right? Oh, um, I but I've over, I hate survivor. <laughs> like I've overcome, you know, the abuse, but mm-hmm. what I, someone had me do a meditation the other day and they were like, go back into your childhood body. And I was like laying there going and I couldn't, I couldn't find her. I couldn't find her. I couldn't find her. And I was like, I, I've got to mm-hmm. shape her. You know, I've got to find her. And when I got there, it was so sad and beautiful at the same time. You know, mm-hmm. it was like the little me with the small little limbs and the small little legs. And I was like, oh, honey, you're so sweet, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I was, I felt like, I was like, I don't want to do that meditation ever again, but like it definitely brought me to some <laughs> for a very beautiful place <laughs> yeah, where we don't realize yeah. that that little girl was, was real. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. It's, the little girl needs to be witnessed by you. You know, our story, our story can bring out that the story brings out the truth, but are you witnessing the truth of it was you? You experienced that. So I would say my next piece of advice would be self-compassion because the process is not easy if you are having a hard time, whether you've experienced anything um, bad in your past or whether you're just having a hard time dating because sometimes you're dating S-boys who've had a bad past and they're projecting that onto you. So either way, the process can be difficult, but I don't like to say it always is because it's not. Sometimes you meet somebody and it's great and it all works out. Yeah. Self-compassion along the way, you know, just keep your side of the street clean. 
So if someone called you up and said, oh, God, I met this guy and I'm having so much fun and we go here and go, we don't really like we, we you know, he doesn't really like send me flowers or he doesn't really call mm-hmm. me that much. But, man, we're having such a good time. Would you would you see that as a red flag or would you would you ask? Because she's obviously coming to you because she wants she feels that there's something that might be off about her. Right. Oh, I'm got assuming it, got it. I'm assuming a client that comes to you. I mean, what do they typically come to you that they don't come to you and just say, I'm having problems dating, right? They know that you go deeper, right? Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes I just had someone very, very much so get blindsided. I was like, okay, so you went there and now we have to jump in. Uh, but yeah, on the surface level, I, it just, I feel like every, every person is different and every client that I have, it really is just based off, there's so many factors that fall into it, but I will say, if a guy, have you heard of love bombing? You know what love bombing is? Yeah, when they're just like all front heavy. All over you and getting you flowers and you just met this week and texting you day and night, which as women, I think we just eat it up, right? Like, of course, oh my God, he likes me. We call our girlfriends and he's the one and let's go wedding dress shopping. And we get head over heels and that can be um, a form of an F boy sucking you in. And then, you know, it goes into a bunch of psychology um, of like narcissism and all of that, but it just becomes this abusive cycle. If you are dating one of those F boys. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So in mm-hmm. my experience and in my um, coaching, I would, I would tell the woman to punch, punch the brakes. This is great. It feels good, but let's, let it unfold naturally. Right. And, you know, and there's no right or wrong pace, but just to have some caution if mm-hmm. things feel too mm-hmm. good or too bad, mm-hmm. you know, like, well, let's keep neutral. I completely agree with that. And I, and I really, what I love about you, well, I love lots of things about you, but what I love most about <laughs> you and you thinking about writing a book is, you know, Pat Allen was really the only person on the scene that was really, you know, the relationship guru, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, she would write books about basically like how to get married, you know, and here's what yeah. you need to do. To... And I've dipped back in into those books many, many times. You know, there's other books like Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, but all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that there needs to be a book that's more about Look, if you want to be if you want to believe that you want to have a long term committed romantic relationship, really check in with yourself and make sure you really do, because I think that there's a lot of people, men and women, people that are, you know, dating of the same sex. It doesn't matter, you know, transgender, Mm -hmm. whatever you are, if you're Mm -hmm. not ready, whatever you prefer, whoever, whatever gender you are, whatever you prefer, if you're not ready, you're going to attract what you're not the same type of person. So like at yeah, the end of the day, it's exactly. on you. It's on you. I don't care how many tricks or tips or plans or, or deals or arrangements you want to make. It's on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we mirror one another, right? So when we, when we're in a relationship, there's nowhere to hide. <laughs> you can't come home and drink three glasses of wine and nobody's going to know because you have right. a partner, you know, if, if that's a little something that you feel guilty about or, you know, anything like uh, if you're not taking care of yourself, but you want to, there's nowhere to hide that from somebody who's going to say, you want to take care of yourself. Why aren't you doing it? Mm-hmm. So 
we mirror one another and our partners really expose the things. That's why I call it a spiritual awakening, but they really expose the parts of us that, that we want to work on that we yes. maybe don't even know we need to, mm-hmm. um, but that we would like to improve or heal. Um, so yeah, I, I think relationships, obviously I think they're great. Um, but I think being afraid of them can be natural. Mm-hmm. Um, but finding a coach that can help you through it, or if you have a good support system, it can be a beautiful experience if you let it. Yeah. I think everybody needs, needs coaches for everything. You know, why not? I know. This is the world of <laughs> coaching. If there's someone that knows better than you or, or has the tools that you're not, you know, that's your blind spot. Why not? What my work, I view like my purpose, I guess you could say for lack of better words, but hurts people hurt people. Mm-hmm. So I really the basis of what I do is I want people to love themselves as cliche as that is. I want people to heal and love themselves so we can break the cycle of hurting one another mm-hmm. because whether you're in a privileged community or an un- unprivileged community community, if we can't face our own stuff and witness our own pain, we're just going to keep projecting that down yes. each generation. And I'd like to say a lot of people don't understand this, but the woman who abused me was also abused, which is very common, Kim. You know that, right? Yes, 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 yes. absolutely. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, and so um, a lot of people don't understand that I've never had any hatred or had any bad feelings towards her. I don't know if I was just an old soul as a child, but I really, I felt, I felt bad for her. I had empathy for her. Mm-hmm. And I think that it was a really big uh, it was an eye-opening experience for me because it led me to this where I'm like, okay, let's help people like her who don't know better. Let's help people like her who are projecting their trauma onto others. And so hurt people hurt people. I want them to to heal. I want healed people to heal people instead. I love that. So really, that's the root of it, that compassion that you have for someone else that had had injury done to them, that then didn't know better to put their romantic ideations or Mm -hmm. whatever they were, delusions onto a young child. You happen to be the one Mm -hmm. that they picked. Mm -hmm. And then you see that happening in the framework of society now within people in all sorts of intimate relationships. It might not be sexual abuse in the dating world, but it is projecting those old sort of maybe unreleased traumas, maybe that what they're Absolutely. holding on to and bringing into the romantic relationships, they haven't forgiven someone. They haven't forgiven themselves. They haven't forgiven mm-hmm. what has happened to them. And so they bring it in, thus blocking themselves perpetually from ever mm-hmm. being able to be fully and fully and totally loved or to love. Absolutely. Yeah. And that stems back. I mean, that goes back to the S boy now. So the S boy probably has his own own a plethora of of and that's problems, F, that's right? F F boy. We're saying the F boy F-boy. is the F U C K boy <laughs> who likes yes, to just that, come that in one. for a good time and burn out, right? Yeah, exactly. And you know that can be a form of escape and of fear of intimacy. And there could be a path there, or there could be a phase of just preference. But typically, in the work I do, I've recognized that there is a pattern with certain people where they are projecting. It's a projection of their own pain. And so not only do I want to help the women 
get out of these situations. But I have recognized that when you say, hey, that doesn't work for me. When you say, hey, I have standards and you can't treat me this way, good luck. Um, it forces the F-U-C-K boy to, to, take, to look inward. And maybe they won't with you, but if the next woman does and the next woman does, you know, that is part of my work as well as like building those standards so that we don't allow bad behavior. Because if all of us aren't allowing bad behavior, they got nowhere else to go. That's right. <laughs> you know? yeah, that's right. They can start dating Except themselves. In- they can start dating themselves. Yes. <laughs> yes. So yeah, Great that's another back. part of the work. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I, I really, as always, I've enjoyed talking to you and I, and we've covered a lot of ground today from you know, your, your history and, you know, from light dating advice to really getting down to the sole purpose of what you do and how you can help people. So I really appreciate you being a guest on the show today. And um, I will make sure in the show notes that I put your website so people can find you and any online courses Great. that you have. And um, we can start healing the romantic world one person at a time. Yes. Thank you. It's been an honor to be on your show and I can't wait to see where it goes for you. Awesome. Thank you. You've been listening to You Should Write a Book About That. To make sure you never miss an episode, find us and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to know more about how to write a book, check us out at a storyinside.com. <laughs>